important because no matter how much the results change, the hypothesis must remain the same. That's science. Good morning and welcome to episode 198 of Effectively Wild, the Baseball Prospectus Daily Podcast. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller, who just saw Hi. Prince. How is Prince? Oh my gosh, it was incredible. Yeah, I've it never, I've never seen Prince live, but I've, I've heard stories. Uh, was this one of the the ones where he plays for like three hours? It was not. This was about a hundred minute set, and it was, uh, it was very rock. It was very crunchy and all rock, and he was in guitar god mode, uh-huh. uh, so no synth, nothing like that, no horns. Uh, small band, fairly small theater extremely loud and i can't hear anything right now but uh it was tremendous it was one of the best things i've ever seen cool all right uh it is listener email show we are going to take your questions now we've picked out a few good ones um so do you have one you want to start with yeah sure uh yeah okay so uh this one is interesting and um i thought about actually just asking like jason parks or something and getting an answer so did i (laughs) Then I, I thought it would actually be somewhat maybe less interesting if we if we knew it because then we wouldn't have anything to say. You and I wouldn't have anything to say if we just got the answer. Mm-hmm. So um, Joe uh, from California, from Rancho Cucamonga, asks, do you think a grade 60 hitter with grade 40 power will hit more homers in the big leagues than a grade 40 hitter with grade 60 power? Some may think the grade 60 hitter will hit more bombs based solely on their ability uh, allowing them to run into more balls. Is this trackable? Um, so this is a really interesting question and I have an answer, but before I had my answer, uh, first I tried to actually, without even trying, I I automatically thought up the player for each of those descriptions that comes to mind. The first player that comes to mind for each of those descriptions. Um, and I just wonder who, who were the first players who come to mind for you? matching those descriptions a a grade 60 hitter with grade 40 power and a grade 40 hitter with grade 60 power Hmm. uh i don't know i didn't i didn't really even think of it in terms of actual players i was just purely thinking of it on an abstract level um i don't know who are your who are your guys so for a grade uh 60 hitter with grade 40 power um I immediately thought of Placido Polanco. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, for a grade 40 hitter with grade 60 power, I uh, did not quite immediately, but I thought of uh, Dan Ugla. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. I guess I guess that makes sense. Um, and so I thought that it sort of was nice that I had those two guys, too, because does they're... Polanco, in- does Polanco even... Well, yeah, I guess he... He's got, he had he's got 100 17. home runs in the majors. I guess he's got 40 power. I don't know. He had 17 in a season. That's weird. Uh, you know, he's he's yeah. he's had a, he's had, you know, he's had some power years. He's had some 150 to 175 isolated power seasons and mm-hmm. okay. Fi- you know, 50 extra base hits in a season and so he's got I think it's below average, but 17 home I don't think you can hit 17 homers in the majors without at least a 40 power. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you were 30, you'd, you'd top out at like six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's. I think they make a nice comparison because they both have long careers and they're fairly close to 
comparable players overall. So um, you're not like I think a lot of if if you tried to compare two players uh, along these lines, a lot of times you'd have one player who's just simply better than the other one, and it would be hard to compare them. But um, Polanco and Ugla are fairly similar players overall, and Ugla has way more home runs than mm-hmm. Polanco uh, does. And I don't know. I might I might be underrating. It's possible I'm underrating Ugla's hit tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I don't know. Maybe he's like a 50 and a 65 or something like that. In which case, that wouldn't be fair. But uh, I tend to think that the if if both tools are major league playable, right? Yes. Uh, then I think I would go with the with the power guy. Now I think an uh, an alternate version of this question would be a 30 70 and a 70 30. And in that case, I think that the the 30 hit tool is probably less uh, a player with a 30 hit tool is probably a lot less likely to stick in the majors mm-hmm. than a player than a player with a 30 power tool but a 70 hit tool I think that the 30 power and a 70 hit tool will stay in the majors for a long time the other guy is like sort of a coin flip whether he'll make it you know whether he'll have any sort of career at all maybe mm-hmm. um, and in that case I might take the Polanco type yeah I would I would agree with pretty much all of that. I, I would take the the sixty power guy. I I mean, the uh, the ability to run into more balls that Joe says. I, I mean, if you have if you have eighty power, um, and you you just can't hit. I mean, if you somehow were were given six hundred plate appearances anyway, uh, you could probably still hit more homers, I guess, right? Because I mean. The, the the contact ability and the power ability are are two separate skills so we're not it's not like if you if you have a low hit tool you will never make contact with a ball I mean you you will still hit a, hit a ball every now and then you'll hit one far but you will have so few other types of hits and you will just be so unproductive on the whole that you will not be able to stay in the lineup just I mean I, I guess the the extreme example maybe is like a Dave Kingman who just has crazy power and just doesn't make much contact and doesn't get on base. Uh, and his career ended pretty early, although he kind of went out with, with like one of the, I mean, a pretty good season, I guess, or, or at least a high Homer season. Um, but wait, what are you arguing about Dave Kingman? Dave Kingman is the the good example or the bad example? Because Dave Kingman had like 410 home runs. Well, he's he's an example of a guy with, I mean, a, a very high power tool and a and a low hit tool. I mean, he's a guy who hit 230 or something, and in his final season, he hit 35 home runs, but also hit 210 with a 260 OBP or something, and then he retired, um, mm-hmm. which is a really weird final season. But I mean. He is, I mean, he was worth playing just, I guess, because of his, his crazy power. And he managed to have a 16-year career. So I guess he's kind of the, he's kind of the guy who makes you think that, that maybe the, the guy with the, the 70 power and the 30 hit could, could have a, a long career and, and out-homer the, the opposite guy, the reverse guy. Yeah, he could. Uh, I just think that you have a, a very high washout yes. rate for that type of player. So the player that I think of for the 37, the first player I think of for the 3070 guy is um, is Brad Eldred, 
who um, is you know is not going to have 400 mm-hmm. home runs and is going to and is going to retire with well he, he's not technically retired yet but he's going to he's going to retire with 15 mm-hmm. and um, I think a guy with a 70 hit tool uh, who is capable of hitting you know 310 for a career is going to get you know a nice 14 year career almost no matter what he does with his other tools and will get more than 15 home runs. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. What's our next question? Uh, all right. So the next question is from Chris, uh, who says, The DFAing of Rick Ankiel led me to remember how he completely forgot how to pitch while with the Cardinals in the early 2000s. This caused me to consider how a team would react if one of their established stars were to have a similar drop off, one of their established hitting stars. Josh Hamilton has been pretty terrible this year, but I'm thinking something more extreme, like what if Miguel Cabrera suddenly lost the ability to make contact and went O for his next 60 or 80? What would the Tigers do? How long would something like this have to go on before the Tigers benched him or just released him? Uh, well, I guess, I mean, how would how would hitter yips manifest themselves? Would he just be missing the ball? He'd be starting his swing, like second early and or late i mean it would be he'd be missing the ball by a mile every time Uh, yeah that's that's the tricky thing right is we what how would it look right the the thing is that you can't ignore a pitcher with the yips you can ignore a pitcher who loses effectiveness for a while like uh you know there have been pitchers who have hung on long enough to have nine eras over the course of a season but but if you're walking seven or eight batters an inning Mm -hmm. for instance um, it's pretty obvious you have to get that guy out. He's a threat to everybody. And I'm trying to imagine what the most extreme example of bad hitting that could possibly happen if you got. I guess it would. I think, I think it's called focal. What it, I used it in a headline a couple weeks ago. What's it called? Focal dyspepsia or something yeah, like that? I, I guess it would be. Do you remember that? I don't remember now. Um, I guess it would probably be if you. I guess if you just lost all sense of the, the strike zone, would just be the equivalent to. To the pitcher yips, I mean, just not being able to to hit the strike zone as a pitcher would be the equivalent of just not being able to tell when a ball is in the strike zone, I guess, and just swinging indiscriminately. Uh, so, uh-huh. so basically becoming Pablo Sandoval, but without Pablo Sandoval's ability to hit balls outside the strike zone. So you would just, uh, you'd get up there and you'd have no perception of, of where a pitch was and a pitcher would just be able to throw you, uh, you know, three pitches two feet outside, and you would just swing at all of them and go right back to the bench. I guess that would so, be the equivalent. Yeah, something something vision related would probably be the the, the closest comparison. If you, um, you know, if you woke up and you couldn't see, like Kirby Puckett did, and you just didn't tell anybody, um, mm-hmm. it would it would be pretty comparable because it would. It would be uh, extremely awkward, extremely ineffective, extremely easy to spot, and also really dangerous. Um, but uh, I, 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 assuming it's not blindness, assuming that it's something that is psychological, this is sort of weird, but um, there, there was a time once when I was playing Little League when uh, I, for like a day, forgot how to run. <laughs> 
like I couldn't really make my feet do it. You know, like my legs could run, but my feet couldn't get the feel for the ground. It was like I, I was running on my heels and I just couldn't make myself run. <laughs> it was very odd. Uh, very extremely, extremely odd. Like Jesus but, Montero. Like Jesus Montero, yes. I, I was thinking that as I said that. But, um, but I mean, when you – like it, it – what would be weird is if a batter forgot how to swing uh, and just couldn't make his body all move in that direction at the same time and and just lost his swing. In which case, I think in a case like that, uh, the batter would probably be given not more than eight plate appearances. Uh, if it were like if it were like if it were really ob- visually obvious like that now, if it were simply ineffectiveness, it's a different question. Mm-hmm. Now, what if everything looked right, but Miguel Cabrera went uh, 0 for 60 or, or 0 for 80? Mm-hmm. He would get, I assume he would get a day off here and there. But um, it seems like part of uh, it, like conventional wisdom in baseball is that you hit your way out of slumps. And so you keep putting them out there. And the other thing about baseball that is proven wisdom is that there's a, there's a lot of natural fluctuation that doesn't mean a whole lot. And you, um, it takes a long time before we believe in any trend. And I just don't know for sure that even after 50 plate appearances, uh, like for instance, let's say that, that he went, uh, that Miguel Cabrera went 0 for 50 and, um, and Jim Leland benched him for, I'm trying to even think of who the, the Tigers reserve third baseman would be. Um, I don't know who he would be, but let's say he benched him for somebody lousy, like Brennan Bosch isn't a Tiger, is he? Not anymore. Well, let's say they traded for Brennan Bosch and put Miguel, him put him on in the lineup and Miguel Cabrera on the bench for like, for like four games. So this is not just a one-day breather. Mm-hmm. I, I would think that the... Uh, that the the Twitterati would be up in arms about the Tigers overreacting to small sample sizes, et cetera, and Miguel Cabrera needs to be out there. He's obviously a better hitter than Brennan Bosch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 50 probably wouldn't be enough to appease us. How many would it take to appease us? Well, I mean, a couple seasons ago, Adam Dunn hit 159 and got just about 500 plate appearances. And this season, he's hitting 151 and is gotten 120 plate appearances and Adam Dunn is not as good as Miguel Cabrera has never been as good as Miguel Cabrera uh so I think Miguel Cabrera could hit you know 100 or something almost indefinitely um and keep his job uh but if he if he actually went oh for I mean if he just had a a hitless streak completely hitless um, man, I, <laughs> I mean, I would think that it's, I, I guess, I don't know if he looked perfectly fine. I mean, it's, it's hard to kind of imagine how he could look perfectly fine and not luck into a hit every now and then at least. That's the other thing about it that makes it hard is that it's almost impossible to go over 50 right. unless you're striking out 50 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can't. Uh, it, I yeah. Mean, if you're... I think there's, I think there's one, I think there's one active pitcher, for instance, who has 
an O for an O for career that's that long, and it's like Brad, uh, it's a uh, it's Aaron Heilman, uh-huh. but basically every other pitcher has a hit who's yeah. gone. Like Verlander's O for twenty something, but every other pitcher basically has a hit. So right. it's really hard to go to truly go O for fifty. So yes. it might have to be like like your guy Shaq, who not only <laughs> right. went O for but but struck out in every single at bat. Yeah. I, I think if I think if Cabrera struck out in thirty straight at bats, for instance, I think if Cabrera struck out in twenty five. We would take it seriously. If he struck out in 17, I think we might still just look at it as an oddity. <laughs> I really think that we might not like like take a day off, but if they benched him for more than two days, I think Twitter might erupt. Yeah, I guess so. Because well, yeah, I mean, as long as I mean, if if the condition is that he still looks fine, and I mean, if everything is the same about his approach, then then sure, yeah, I guess so. Uh, I mean, it, again, it's really hard to imagine that happening to Miguel Cabrera without him having some injury he was hiding that would presumably show up in his swing or you know something mechanically off. Um, if there were no red flags other than the the strikeouts, then then yeah, I guess if if he struck out for every every at bat for four straight games, I. I guess I would. I mean, I'd still want him in there in the fifth game, theoretically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would too. Uh, the crazy thing is that this has never happened. That not only has it. I mean, it doesn't seem odd to me that that hitters don't get the yips because hitting is. Uh, you don't have to. Um, you don't have to sort of start from a stopped position and, and figure out how to create something in the way that pitchers do. Mm-hmm. You're just reacting. You're just swinging at a thing that is coming at you, and it feels a lot more fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but but as an over fifty seems like it would have happened uh, by just random chance at at some point, and yet it has never happened. I think uh, the longest is forty six. I remember Joe Morgan had like I think a thirty five. Mm-hmm. Um, and Craig Council almost beat the record a couple yes. years ago, or maybe right. last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had, f- I think, forty-five. But uh, fifty—it's interesting because fifty has never happened. And if Mel- if Miguel Cabrera were the guy who who was the first to have over fifty, it would be especially significant. Mm-hmm. And yet, you and I are saying that we would just brush it aside as assuming that he looked normal. Yeah, I guess so. So I'm gonna real quick run the uh, run the odds of Miguel Cabrera <laughs> going uh, 0 for 50. So what what do we think Miguel Cabrera's true talent level is? Uh, on base or average wise? Batting, batting average, yeah. Uh, gosh, say at this three three ten three twenty. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at his 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 career stats. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, three three twenty seems about right at this point. So it's about one in a billion that mm-hmm. it would happen in a fifty game stretch by chance alone. All right. Okay. Uh, next question is from Matt Trueblood. It's about Starlin Castro. Uh, I'm wondering what you each make of Starlin Castro. Tuesday, as in yesterday, I think, uh, marks the three year anniversary of his major league debut, which was a resounding success. And, of course, he has flashed star potential in each of his three more or less full big league seasons. The only thing is, it's three years later, and he hasn't become a star. He's useful, don't get me wrong. Average to average plus defense at shortstop. Average to average plus bat. 
but the MVP candidate people occasionally mention hasn't shown up yet. His intentional walk rate has been static, his contact rate has degraded, his power has ticked up but not exploded. He's a hacker who can absolutely bash breaking balls but doesn't usually catch up to really good fastballs. He's 23. This is technically the first age-appropriate season of his life. We know historically that guys who are even average regulars at 20, as he was, end up being stars more than half the time. Does it worry you that he's stalled out this way? Do you think batters who fundamentally lack the ability to do more than programmed pitch-taking face certain obstacles in reaching that top echelon that others don't? He's had just over 2,000 MLB plate appearances and owns a 263 career TAV, true average. What do you think his true average will be over his next 2,000 plate appearances? Um, hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's disappointing to me. I would say that he hasn't improved, but um, only because uh, I, like every baseball fan, am a monster, and I want <laughs> right. uh, I want everybody to to do things that maybe aren't actually in their in their DNA. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, there's an, there's an assumption that players are going to get better as they age, that 20 year olds are going to be better when they're 21, when they're 22, when they're 23, when they're 24, when they're 25, 26, when they're 27, and then, you know, even, uh, level off at that point and then, you know, find some sort of decline phase. And that's true if you look at all players as a group. But Pakoda doesn't do that. If you ever look at a young player's Pakoda, it's sort of uh, jarring at first because you'll note that a player who has five wins at age 21 is projected to basically have five wins a year for the next 10 years. That, um, that the growth on an, for an individual player is not assumed. That There's a lot of things that go wrong and a lot of players do peak early and a lot of players just hold steady and when you're talking about players who are extremely good at age 20 or 21 that's especially true uh players who play at an mvp level at 21 usually don't play at like some sort of super mega mvp level when they're 27 they just keep playing at roughly that level and hope that they don't get hurt so um i wrote a piece uh, uh, just a blog post an unfiltered post maybe a year ago about starlin castro's likelihood of making the hall of fame based on one data point alone, and that data point was played appearances at eight at his age level, and it was like 50-50, just if all you knew about him was how many games he played, you didn't know anything about his physicality, his scouting reports, or his stats, uh, you just knew how long he played, how many games he played in the majors at that point in his career, you'd say it was something like a 50-50 chance he'd make the Hall of Fame, and um, or maybe it was slightly below that, as I recall, um, and I think that it's probably, uh, uh, with another year of no apparent growth, I think that's less likely, and I wouldn't bet on Castro to make the Hall of Fame. He's, right now, um, he's sort of building this career that is like we talked about a few days ago, the guy who is perfectly consistent for maybe 18 years Uh and gets to a warp level that is Hall of Fame uh, counting warp, Mm -hmm. but doesn't remind anybody of a hall of famer castro uh hasn't helped me out hasn't made an all-star game right uh i don't know i don't know who's made all-star games uh, i don't either i only know who should make all-star <laughs> games. that's right in may uh, uh so he hasn't he's made see, two. He, oh goodness gracious mm. well that helps and he <laughs> wow and a 20 and he got mvp votes one year mm, uh barely yes barely yeah he got mvp vote one year mm-hmm. 
Uh, and he's got some black ink, although part of the black ink is caught stealing, <laughs> and three of the other four are playing time. Right, and the, uh, the playing and, time, I mean, that will not get better. I mean, he played 162 games last year, so that can't get better. Uh, as he as he ages, he's likely to, to play less, I guess. I mean, maybe not immediately, but... Um, and, and the fact that he's a shortstop who's whose defense is, uh, I don't know, it's it's fine now, um, aside from the the occasional thing that makes everyone mad because he isn't watching a pitch or something. Uh, but, I mean, at some point, probably, I don't know, by the time he's 30 or something, he will be playing a, a different position, I guess. Uh, and so I feel like it would be hard for him to be the, the guy who is, I mean, he's been worth three and a half, four-ish wins according to our stats the last couple of years. So, I, I mean, it would be hard for him to to do that at a, at a different position, I think. Yeah, so here's, here's I think, what I think about Castro. Uh, Castro and, and Elvis Andrews uh, came up at roughly the same time, are roughly the same age, and have done, uh, in a lot of ways, roughly the same thing, which is to play a ton of games at a really young age. Now, Andrews, I think, is in a lot of ways criminally underrated because he does things that don't generally get you MVP votes. Um, and he plays very good defense. He runs the bases well. Uh, and he stays on the field at a premium position. And so far, that's more or less what Castro has done. But Andrews is a guy who I can see uh, playing a very long time while doing just that very thing. And so you could imagine a situation where Andrews plays 15 years and builds up 55 warp uh, just by doing what he's doing, basically, and adjusting a little bit for age, but basically being um, a uh, you know a very good defensive shortstop and base runner and, and hitter. Um, Castro, though, from really from, I think, uh, a very young age, what you imagined Castro's route to the Hall of Fame was, was not staying at shortstop as a... Uh, you know, as a 10 home run hitter for 15 years. Mm -hmm. It was, he's going to get bigger, he's going to fill out, he's going to turn into a monster with the bat, and he's going to be Alfonso Soriano, except he's going to be better. Mm -hmm. he'll, move, he'll move to left field, he'll hit 38 home runs, he'll, you know, he'll be a fantasy stud, he'll get MVP votes, he'll drive in runs, and he'll be that guy. And at this point, now that he's 23, it seems a lot less likely that we're going to see that now but there's still a few more years for that to happen it's just that it just it so far his 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 um his path has not taken him where you imagined his best case scenario was going to go and so when you start projecting a few years into the future for him you see decreased defensive value you see him moving off the position you see him not developing a left fielder's bat and becoming like a you know alfonso soriano as he's been the last four years instead of as he was the four years before that or six years before that mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. I wonder if we are uh, underrating the extent to which he has developed offensively. I mean, he has not walked more often or, or become much more selective. Um, but, it, I mean, he's added a, a fair amount of power uh, in his first two seasons. I mean, his first his first season, he had 500 play appearances. He hit three home runs. He had a, he had a 108 isolated power. And then he... He added 20 points of isolated power in each of the next two seasons so that, I mean, last season he was hitting 14 home runs in more plate appearances, of course. But, I mean, that's that that seems like uh, 
pretty decent development. I mean, for a for a guy in his early 20s to add 20 points of isolated power each season. I mean, if he if he could do that a couple more times, um, you know, as he kind of aged into his peak, then he'd be a guy who is hitting, you know, 20 home runs, over 20 home runs uh, as a as a shortstop with with, I mean, you know, something close to a a 200 isolated power or something. I mean, that would be impressive. Uh, He still has to do that, of course, but um, other than just, you know, his, his first 30 games or so of this season in which he hasn't really taken a further step. I mean, his first three seasons sort of suggest that he has that in him or he has that trajectory. And uh, I don't know. I mean, last, last season, his, his BABIP was down like 30 points or so. Um, I don't, I don't, I haven't looked into it. I don't know what his batted bro- ball profiler was or anything like that. But, you know, if, if that was just lower, just because it was lower then if you kind of give him the same BABIP that he had in his first two seasons, then I think his, his line would look pretty impressive and maybe we wouldn't be asking this question. Yeah, fair enough. That's all fair. So uh, we'll. Re- I think we'll revisit. Well, I, so I we would should. Imagine that- we should. I mean, we hate making predictions, but Matt asked for one. I guess we should make one. So he's had. Oh yeah, to a true average for the next two thousand. Right. So uh, he's had a two sixty three true average his first two thousand. So we, I'll say two seven two seventy three. Okay. Yeah, I was I was gonna say about that too. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, let's. Uh, should we do one more? Or are we out of time? Uh, let's. Well, I don't know. You're the one who decides we're out of time. Um, let's, let's do the, should we do the Reinhardt Rogoff one? Yeah, sure. So this is from, uh, Ryan in Tampa who, who says, I don't know if you've been following the media coverage of the Reinhardt Rogoff study. Ben, have you been? I have. Yeah. So the Reinhardt Rogoff study is basically an, an economic study that, um, was published a few years ago. It was a big, big deal. It had to do with, um, uh, nation, uh, you know, go, uh, national economies and, and, and debt. And, uh, you know, without getting into the details, it was it was a big deal. It was much talked about, and it seemed to have policy implications. Right. And then it basically said that, like, once you reach a certain point of a certain too, amount too of detailed. debt, you're screwed. Too detailed. Right. Uh, so <laughs> then, three three years later, a grad student was trying to replicate it for an assignment. Not a big deal, and realized he couldn't replicate it. Does a little bit of digging and realizes the Reinhardt Rogoff study is basically based on a. Um, a spreadsheet error in Microsoft Excel. I don't know specifically what the spreadsheet error was, but basically there was something wrong in the math and the entire premise of the piece was was wrong. And it took years, three years or two years before, or maybe one year, I don't know, but it took a long time before anybody realized it. And uh, so this thing that everybody was like heralding and accepting as fact was, was, was not true at all uh, based on you know, basically a pretty simple glitch. So, uh, Ryan asks, um, how do you think the mainstream media would react if a few sabermetric publications suffered similar credibility issues? Would casual baseball fans revert to adopting a Mitch album album? Like I, every time I see that I read Mitch Alborn <laughs> every time I cannot see it as an M. I see it as an RN mm-hmm. Mitch album, like outlook on the game, putting more emphasis on heart and grit. What do you think? Uh, well, I think generally that this probably happens more often than we think both in baseball and, and in every other field. I mean, someone sent me a, 
an article on Reason.com, I think it was yesterday, about a government study on Chinatown buses. Um, and you know, there was a study a, a few years ago, I think, by the NTSB that concluded that you were seven times more likely to die in a in a Chinatown bus, in in like a curbside bus, than than a, a kind of a Greyhound or one that stops at a station more upscale. Uh, and so they've been cracking down on these on these companies and putting them out of business because they believe they were so so unsafe. And then basically the same thing. Someone recreated the study and found that it was just garbage. It was just, I mean, bus lines were misclassified as as curbside and not curbside. And the statistics were just incredibly uh, hazy and, and sloppy and, and the conclusions weren't valid. And so I, I think this probably happens pretty often just because when a result comes out uh, and it's it's newsworthy. Um, there's, you know, only so many people who are going to dig into the numbers and try to recreate, recreate the study, especially, I mean, the, the, the greater the credentials of the person authoring the study are. So, uh, and I mean, I think it's happened in baseball too, actually. Um, Jack Moore wrote an article for Sports on Earth on this very topic, and he used, I mean, to, to poke the finger at ourselves, uh, before our time at BP, I guess, but but BP uh, a, three, a few years ago basically forecasted Matt Wieters to be amazing, one of the best players in baseball right away, just because it was kind of overweighting his his double A performance. There was there was an error. It, it wasn't really akin to to an Excel error, I guess, but it was an error, and, and it produced a a newsworthy conclusion that a lot of people heard about and it was not not correct um and and i think this happens all the time and and yeah i mean i think if to the extent that the mainstream media is aware of of these things uh it could cause cre- credibility issues i mean just the fact that there are three versions of war or warp uh three win values and those are those are not different because because each one has an error, they're just different approaches. And that has certainly been used as, I mean, as you wrote about in ESPN, the magazine, I mean, that's been used as, as an argument kind of against war. Um, just the fact that there are different formulations of it. People say, well, they can't even agree on, on what it says. So why should we believe it? Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, I, I think this could be used as more fodder for, for an album like, outlook on the game i uh i think if it were a well i'm not sure what would be a big enough deal to get this sort of attention Mm -hmm. um i mean a lot of the things that get published in sabermetrics are are pretty small scale stuff there's not a lot of game changing things happening uh right now in sort of the literature so i don't know that there's anything that would be such a big deal that it would shake anybody's faith i also don't think that the 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 types of people who would like be looking to pounce uh take sabermetrics that seriously to begin with and they probably think that all the stuff that gets published is just done by amateurs and not done by any sort of um you know professionalized uh, army of of analysts or anything like that i think they just think that it's all a joke uh so i don't know that it would radically shift any minds in that sense either um, but I think it would be a bigger deal if 
there were some sort of like fraud scandal mm-hmm. more more than if there was a um, a uh, you know a spreadsheet error. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it, it's a good question. I don't, I don't really know the answer to that. I, I also think that things are, um, you know, I, I think that there's probably a lot of mistakes that get made, but I, I, I find that there's a, a real, um, that, that a lot of things get replicated in our community mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a very good way. And so I'd like to think that this stuff isn't happening too much. And the Weeders thing is a good example. I mean, the Weeders problem was, Kind of, I don't know if exposed is the right verb, but it was um, it was discussed in great detail. There was pushback. There were uh, competing claims before Weeders had even played a game mm-hmm. uh, in that projection. And I, as as I recall, I, I might be wrong about this, but as I recall, the the translation uh, problem that was underlying the, the the bad the bad forecast was resolved fairly quickly too, like like maybe shortly into the season mm-hmm. so I, I i would i would like to think that these problems don't linger and that um nobody expects everything to be perfect i think there's a uh ideally there's a healthy sense of doubt about everything that we think we know and um you know it's sort of trying to just move toward accuracy uh nothing's ever 100 percent accurate yeah there's definitely a lot of informal peer review uh I mean, so i guess the I guess the less interesting your conclusion is, the the more likely it is to go unreplicated or uncorrected if there's an error. But uh, it's not interesting anyway, so so it's not really influencing how anyone thinks. But yeah, I mean, anytime someone puts out some study that changes the way that people think about the game, uh, people absolutely test it. So um, if you did make some major error, it would probably would be ferreted out pretty, pretty quickly. But yeah, I, I guess, I mean, yes, if, if there were, I don't know, if there were some, some tenet of sabermetrics, some like cornerstone belief of sabermetrics that, uh, say had been around since like Bill James's time or something and, and were suddenly discovered to be completely incorrect. Uh, I, I feel like maybe that is something that, a a columnist would seize on. Um, but it's, Hard to imagine something like that lasting this long, just with the amount of scrutiny and other people, both intentionally and unintentionally, duplicating the work. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, All right. we're done. We've got a couple more shows this week. We'll be back tomorrow.